You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Search engine optimization guru Lee Odin goes on the record online. When you typed in Best Philly Cheesesteaks, that query went to a database of probably millions and millions of documents. And then it looked at things like links, it looked at where you searched from, and looked at you know information about the documents themselves, and then sorted them for you. And uh, I've also had disappointing experiences with Google. And thank you for joining us for this episode of On the Record Online, recorded at the PRSA International Conference 2007 in Philadelphia. This is the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. We do in-depth interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, from time to time, discussions with bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers, and we talk to them about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. My name is Eric Schwartzman. I'm your host. I am also the managing director of Schwartzman & Associates, a Los Angeles-based PR firm that specializes in entertainment, media, and technology clients. I am also founder and chairman of iPressroom. We are a web-based platform for integrating PR, social media, and new media into conventional communications and public relations campaigns. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Lee Odin. He is active in the industry through blogging and speaking at Search Engine Strategies, PubCon conferences, as well as Uh, being involved with the Search Engine Marketing Council, the Direct Marketing Association, Search Engine Marketing Professional Organization, and he is on the board of the Minnesota Interactive Marketing Association. Today he is going to discuss at the conference um, PR and social media, and he's going to look at new tools, strategies, and channels available to today's practitioners from Facebook to Second Life to Blogger Relations to Digital Video and Search Engine Reputation Management. We are going to talk to him today primarily about search engine optimization, Um, The interview comes to you, uh, it's about 23 minutes long, it comes to you entirely unedited after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom. Always on, even when you're off. Lee Odin, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. Now, I know you're here to talk about uh, search engine optimization, right? Right. Let me, let me ask you. Let me ask you just a real simple question. Um, I, I'm sure it doesn't have a simple answer, but uh, the the question is quite simple. Give us an example of how SEO can help an organization raise awareness. Well, you know, people are looking for information, right? They, they use a variety of types of search, standard search, like Google, Yahoo, Microsoft Live, and Ask are, are the predominant channels for search. But um, there's also news search and blog search and search that happens within social media and on sites. So people are accustomed to that behavior. And anytime something uh, can be searched on, that's an op. That's an optimization opportunity. 
increasing awareness comes from making it easier for people to find you when they're looking for information. So that's the short and simple answer. So, so tell me the role of search engine optimization in media relations. Is, sure. it, is it an afterthought? Does it happen at the same time? No, it's a, it's a strategic decision. I mean, so the keyword um, insight that comes from doing keyword research and analysis in, let's say, a search engine optimization campaign where you can tap into tools that actually monitor what people are searching on and create a glossary. And then you leverage that glossary across corporate communications if possible. You try and get any digital um, asset that's created, you know, press releases, web pages, product pages, announcements, whatever, to get those folks who are responsible for creating that content to take a look at these glossaries and find out what variations of um, uh, content or keywords or whatever are being used so that they're using what's in demand. Um, People like to be creative, I know, in PR and direct marketing, and that does not bode well for search. They try to be ironic or clever or funny, and uh, those things have no meaning to a machine. So um, that's a practical you know, application of search for media relations in that um, you, know, you, you, you optimize according to what it is that people are looking for. Um, one example is let's say that you're doing media relations training with an executive for an interview. And the site has already been optimized for certain keywords. The press releases have already been optimized for certain keywords. And you coach that executive or whoever's being interviewed to use those keywords in the interview. And what happens a lot of times is that that interview goes to print or even online. A lot of people remember the topics of the article and they'll go Google it. And there you go. There's our client or there's your client sitting there ranking real highly in the search results. What if we were to look at SEO as it pertains just to the press release. Sure. Um, I know one of, the th- one of the things that you look for to SEO a document is density, right? Uh, you know, that's kind of a in the paraly- analysis, by, <laughs> paralysis by analysis category of things. Um, it's a, if you, when you stick to specific keyword density numbers, what you do is you put yourself at risk of uh, sort of hanging your hat on a shingle that's going to fall down later. In other words, search engines uh, and algorithms that they use are constantly changing and evolving. So what do you do? What are the best practices? What you want to hang your hat on is using keywords high and to the left of the document. Two or three times, four times maybe. Um, you need to use general guidelines and you need to focus on the user. Um, so it's, it's really more of a matter of not being too clever and ironic but being literal in the kinds of keywords that you're using and use them high up in the document, use them in uh, links, uh, as opposed to saying, oh, let's shoot for a 6% keyword density. But, but do, you, do you use the same keyword how many times, in, a, in say, in a press release? Um, as a guideline, in a document that's 500 words, we might use it two to four times, and we'll also use variations of that same phrase. Search engines are smart enough to know that when documents are identified as being authoritative for a particular concept, the presence of the exact match keyword will be a certain number of times, um, but also there are other phrases that will be commonly uh, um, there, or it'll also be there, in other words. you know, So if I search for um, running shoes, uh, oftentimes other brand names might be present on the page or related phrases might be on the page. And the keyword research I talked about will give insight into not only the keyword phrases people are actually searching on, but it will also give, and an idea of how popular they are, judging demand, but it will also give you an idea of what related phrases are often found on those same types of documents. 
What about competitors? Is it a good idea to mention your competitors in a press release for SEO reasons? In a press release? I don't know about that. Um, you know, the, the one of the most, you know, press releases have a short-lived usefulness in terms of news search, right? Because they get displaced by new news. And it depends on how they're distributed and published. Um, if it's your strategy to rank for your competitor names, there are other things you can do that are probably a little more effective. I think if cumulatively over time, you often mention competitor names in documents um, in a way that doesn't violate any um, you know, legal uh, rules or whatever, you, you could be okay. But I don't think ranking for competitor names is uh, probably as a productive strategy as ranking for the things that are meaningful to your audience. You know, some people say uh, meta page descriptions and, and meta keywords matter and some don't. Uh, what's the deal? Does, does, well, it's does a be- metadata matter for search rank? It's, it's, a, it's a best practice. I mean, it's like tying your shoes. You don't have to, but you probably should, you know? Um, it, in, one of the most common problems is title tags. Uh, that When you look at a web page, in the very top of the page, there's that uh, text in the blue bar, which is also used in bookmarks, right? And one of the most common problems uh, that occurs is when folks create web pages and content management systems where they publish the exact same information in those title tags or they won't publish anything at all. And that's really the first and most important indication of what a web page is about. It's a very short summary, eight to ten words, hopefully, uh, that includes some keywords and close to the left of what that page is about. Meta description is used in the search results. So it is important to use if you want to have at least some degree of influence over what the search engine shows in the search results when your web page ranks for a particular keyword query. So let's go back to a search engine optimized press release uh, for a minute here. Um, you know, there are times when uh, best practices for search optimization are in conflict with best practices in journalism. In journalism, it may not be a good idea to use the same keyword over and over again. It may be better to use different words. Another example, um, I know Google News uh, in the title will only take like the first 80 characters of a headline. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 80 characters may not be enough to actually get across what that news is all about. I mean, granted, you know, it's it's a noble effort because if you can get it done in 80 characters, that would be a best practice. But often you can't. And so the question is often posed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have two releases? Do you have one for the media and one for SEO? And of course, my training would say no. The best messages resonate with the widest possible audience. Do you have these problems? How do you reconcile this? Well, first of all, Google News is not much of a market in terms of news releases. It's Yahoo News that, that matters. But it's the same situation applies, and there's a limited number of characters in the title that'll get indexed. And um, in some cases, we will use two different releases. Um, one release will be distributed through Newswire service, and a different release might be published on the uh, online uh, media room or whatever mechanism is archiving uh, press releases on the client site, um, or even a different press release or content uh, meaningful to the press release might be used with pitching or uh, social media news release format or uh, something that's distributed to social news and other outlets, right? So actually, there are a lot of applications for variations of the same message as far as a news release in terms of there being a conflict between writing something meaningful for you know, journalism, journalists, and something meaningful to the news search, you've got to focus on your audience. 
you can't focus on the, the mechanism. You've got to focus on the audience. Don't so, compromise your message just for search engines. So, so let's talk about um, just a, a practical s- situation here. Sure. Let's say you've got a client, and uh, there's an old story. It's six years old, and for some reason, whenever you search that client's name, it comes to the top. This, mm-hmm. this pesky story that, that the client is unhappy with, that the client feels was unfair – not even true, uh, but it did get published and it is coming up first. Sure. And let's say you hit, hit a home run for them and you get them the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Time Magazine, Newsweek, and this pesky link is still, even after all that news breaks, coming up as the first search result when you search their name. What would you do? Well, first of all... Um that, really, that, that story that's getting all the uh, visibility and high rankings is because of links, tons of links coming into it. So one of the first things you need to do is make sure that you engage in a linking effort that links to other positive representations of that brand name or that company name. If an organization is holistically optimizing their content, as I mentioned before, and you look at all the different types of assets you have, whether it's text, audio, video, or whatever, and you're, op- you know, you're leveraging keyword messaging across all digital communications, and as the organization is publishing all these different types of documents and putting them out on the web, um, not only should they be including their brand name and keywords, but also getting links to them. So as an example, in your situation, you mentioned these other pickups. If they're permanent pickups, in other words, a static URL that's not going to go away and it's not going to be hidden behind a login, what they should do is use social bookmarking services or other means of getting links to those positive articles. Subsequently, that will eventually push down any negative representations of that brand name. And that's Online Reputation Management 101 is getting links to positive rep- uh, representations of the brand name, if not their own websites. Okay, so that's the practical solution. Let's talk about ethics for a minute. Are inbound links really the best way to determine search engine accuracy? Hmm. Well, it's Google's way, um, and they have from an ethics 56% standpoint, of the market share. Um, well, but we know practically that that's, that's the reality. Is it ethical? Well, it and, do you, and how does Google decide which inbound links are more important than others? Okay, so the, the first question is, is it ethical? The same question could be posed to professional journals and that they cite. And that's the model Google's based on is the notion of citation of experts. Um, someone who's published multiple times and others, individuals are citing their work more often. They have more credibility. And that's what PageRank is based on. But in journals, there's editorial oversight and there is the, the process of journalism underlying the foundation of how stories are published. Mm-hmm. And there's fact checkers in some cases and but that's people not, that's involved not scalable, in the process. Though. See, that's, the problem with that is that it's not scalable. So what you're talking about is something like Mahalo. And there's a market for that. Absolutely. Um, but in terms of something like Google and, and being able to find and categorize and uh, you know present to the world in the form of search results billions and billions of documents you can't do that with uh, human editorial oversight so there's a scalability issue and I don't think it's at odds with ethics Um, I think that Google puts a lot of effort into making sure there's a positive user experience represented by people finding information that's meaningful that's true uh, to them there are people who are subverting the system, unfortunately, and they make it challenging you know, for a lot of organizations who maybe in the real world feel that they're the most relevant answer for something, but they're probably doing a pretty crappy job with their website, and they need to, be, you know, they need to sync up. 
their real-world dominance in their category with how they represent themselves technically and from a content and link perspective on the web if they want to play in Google's playground. But just to play devil's advocate sure. for a moment here, um, you know, I've, I've search seems to me as a consumer mm-hmm. has a really a long way to go. I mean, when I was preparing for this interview here mm-hmm. and I search your name, it's very easy for me to find information on you. But uh, I when so. I landed, when I landed at the airport, I thought, you know, I'm going to have a chili. Fi- I'm going to have a Philly cheese steak, and sure. so I searched best chili, f- best Philly cheese steak, and I'll tell you, I was not satisfied with the mm-hmm. results that I got. I yeah. didn't feel as though. It was credible information. And I guess my big question is, I mean, do you think Google in many cases lacks in credibility when you're looking for complex information as a result of this popularity contest that has ensued with luring inbound links with link bait, which may in fact not be accurate at all, but may be just the fertile grounds for for a demagogue to come in and sort of lure lure everyone to link in, even though it's not accurate information? Yeah, actually, I do agree that... um it doesn't make sense long term for links to be the as influential as they are. That's that's true, and there 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 do need and there are over two hundred signals, probably more than that, that Google looks at when determining how to sort search results pages after you search. When you typed in "best Philly cheesesteaks," that query went to a database of probably millions and millions of documents, and then it looked at things like links. It looked at where you searched from. And looked at you know information about the documents themselves, and then sorted them for you. And uh, I've also had disappointing experiences with Google, but overall, I've had far more. Yeah, I've, I mean, there's more positive experiences than negative. Do they have a long ways to go, or do they have a ways to go to do better? Yeah, I think so. And and could it be through some other mechanism besides links? Yeah, probably. We're all being asked to do less with more. Um, yeah. As PR people, uh, if there's a service that we don't deliver effectively, that can actually be a liability for us. Mm-hmm. It can be a strike against us when we get our evaluations or you know, when, we, when we're up for renewal if we're at an agency. Sure. So if we're, being, if we're being tasked primarily with media relations, and I think most of us still are, that's right. still what most customers want, right. does it make sense for us to expose ourselves to the difficulties of learning this new area if our employers or our clients don't perceive a value? In terms of search yes. marketing? Well, you know, there's a lot of value in the canon. So let me back up. I have uh, an SEO company called Top Rank, and I also have a small public relations firm and have had both of these companies working side by side for seven years now. But they're separate. They're separate companies? They are separate, but there's there's crossover. there are some crossover employees. The, all the account managers... Um, 70% of the accounts are both traditional public media relations and search. And some of those accounts, to help answer your question more practically, don't necessarily realize we're doing SEO sorts of things for them because the impact is a, a raising awareness, as you asked before. In other words, so we may be optimizing content that we're producing or recommending for them. When we're doing media relations training with those folks who are getting interviewed, we may be using suggestions about using certain types of keywords. We're not telling them, yeah, we're doing SEO. What we're doing is we're increasing their visibility, and SEO is just a particular tactic is all it is. How are you demonstrating that? Um, when doing the training? Oh, oh the, the result of the effect. Okay, so looking at their web analytics. So, yeah, we are going to ask for measures of success or in determining measures of success. 
you know, analytics is, is the, you know, like a sort of website clipping service, right? I mean, we're going to look at where links are coming from, where traffic is coming from. Um, we'll establish landing pages, um, like when we do press release optimization, we have landing pages. When you do pay-per-click for, for PR purposes, we have landing pages. Um, we use and tag pages within the uh, online media room specifically for certain conversion analytics. And so those are, that's how we demonstrate and represent that to the client, the effect of what we're doing. Well, when clients walk through your door uh, for PR services, are they walking through your door because they hope to get media coverage or are they walking through your door because they see the value of search engine optimization already or both? Both. It is both because we're very visible in the industry. We have a fairly popular blog. Um, people know that we do search marketing. Um, a lot of folks come in. Some folks do come in when, um, when they come in through search. They found a very specific piece of information, right? And so they'll come in tactically and say, hey, I want blogger relations training, or we're doing a blog for Northwest Airlines, for example, or we're doing um, 30 simultaneous SEO and social media promotion campaigns for McKesson, a $90 billion or $80 billion company. They came in on a far more strategic level. They wanted strategic consulting to help them reach a certain objective. And the mix of tactics that turned out to work uh, the best for that strategy happened to be this combination of online PR and SEO. So it, it's a mixture of both. Tell me the biggest mistake you've ever made in SEO. In SEO? Um, letting a competitor take a photo at an after-conference party and optimizing it for my name and letting it show up in the search results that I didn't really, really want out there. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't necessarily flattering. Yeah, yeah, that's a mistake. So uh, <laughs> is, is, what's the lesson um, <laughs> I don't know. Is the lesson don't be photographed? Uh, with no, 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 no. Uh, it's um, make sure that you're networking with competitors. Keep your uh, friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> Maybe that might be the lesson there. Actually, it turned out not to be a problem because I asked the, the, the fellow to take the photo down, and he did. He had no problem with it. And um, the, the biggest success... What what are you most proud of? What have you? What's the one thing that you've done that, you, that really stands out in it's, in search engine optimization? I'm a bit divided between that. Um, one is the impact we've had with some really large organizations, with like Hewlett Packard or, or McKesson, where we've been given the opportunity to work with massive numbers of documents and big projects. And you know, if, if you're any good, you're gonna have a great impact on that because you have so much to work with. But maybe even more so, some of the small medium businesses we've worked with that were either startups or you know, were not doing so great when they started working with this that are now successes, that, that are doing fantastically well. Um, because of their own talents and vision, but also being able to execute on some of the uh, strategic advice that they've received from us. That, that, that's, that's very satisfying. Final question. How tough is it to learn SEO? Uh, what are the methods available for someone who wants to learn to SEO content? It's not tough to learn SEO. The challenge is staying up to date. And with many other marketing disciplines, you can learn PR. And, of course, there's a certain amount of maintenance knowledge and update or direct marketing and whatnot. But with SEO, the rules can completely change um, often. And that's the standard. 
that is the standard operating scenario with search in that not only do you have to achieve a certain level of knowledge technically and creatively, but you need to uh, allocate a significant amount of time to staying on top of what's working and how changes in the marketplace, consumer behavior, and the engines themselves are going to affect the kind of work you're doing for your clients. That's, that's actually the challenge. The opportunities for um, learning about SEO are all over. Um, there are certainly blogs. There, there are um, programs through the SEMPO Institute. The Search Engine Marketing Professionals Organization has a, a basic and advanced training program. I believe that's at sempoinstitute.com or .org. Um, the Direct Marketing Association has a certification program through search. Um, there are organizations like Bruce Clay that offer training. Um, Search Engine College, um, and there's certainly conferences like Search Engine Strategies, PubCon coming up in Vegas here later in the year. Uh, Media Post has Search Insider Summit, um, Search Engine Strategies. I guess I mentioned that Search Engine uh, Search Marketing Expo dot com from uh, Danny Sullivan is also a very very good place where folks can learn more about search. And certainly here, um, I mean, there's some sessions here about search. We're doing one later on today at uh, around four o'clock. Um, where we're talking about a lot of different things. We're leveraging how PR practitioners can um, use social media and various subsets of social media within PR. And search or SEO is, is going to be part of that presentation. Search marketing guru Lee Odin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Eric. Have a good day. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. 